0: All right, so we're in the book of James, chapter 2, and verses 18 through 13, and so I've got this quote like I'm a student of English literature here from Shakespeare, which I'm not. You know, I remember reading about A.W. Tozer that, you know, he was self-schooled. I think he left school when he was like 15 or something, became a tremendous pastor and writer and really a theologian. And, uh, He'd heard a lot about Shakespeare, even though he'd never been able to go to school, you know, and hear anything about him in school. And he t- talked to God one time, said, God, if there's, if there's really good stuff in here, help me to learn from it. Help me to grow from reading this. And so he read the, the Acts of Shakespeare on his knees. So he's, he's much more determined than me. I kind of like Sad Sack, and I don't know if you remember Sad Sack comics, you know. That's kind of my speed. Anyway, he says, The quality of mercy is not constrained, because the word strained in King James English meant to be constrained or controlling. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven. Upon the place beneath it is twice blessed. It blesses him that gives and him that takes. So Shakespeare was really steeped in the Word of God, wasn't he? You can just relate that particular phrase especially to several places in scripture but the the quality of mercy is not strained and that's it's not forced it's something that comes freely it comes freely from God and then it begins to move freely in us as we as we follow after Jesus so that's what we're going to be looking at really the the context of these few verses here in the James today in the second chapter and I want you to recall uh, in the first of the letter, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God's purposes in life are really, this life is a testing ground. It's a proving ground. It's a, it's a, and I don't mean testing like a God wonders. I wonder what's in Tom and David. I wonder what, God knows what's in us. It's testing in the sense of proving and purifying our hearts and our faith until we resemble Jesus. And so as we read through James, we'll see that we have these opportunities to respond in a positive way, taking the wisdom of God and applying it in our lives until it becomes more of who we are. And uh, one of those ways is impartiality. How many of y'all are partial to anyone? Anybody partial to somebody? Partial to hanging out with some people, and then some people you see them coming, you go, you know, and other people you kind of gravitate gravitate toward them, you know. We all have partialities, don't we? And we're we're partial in a lot of different ways. And James says that's that's really not God's heart. That's not God's heart. And so James says in this life of entering into trial, He's going to change our heart where we're not partial. You know, you know people that are seem to be pretty impartial, don't you? My wife is pretty impartial. I know she's not, but she, but she, but she's good at acting it out. And I mean, I mean, I mean that in a good sense, you know. She's she's good at acting that out, and that's what you know. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, aren't we? Because God's at work in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So she's very good at acting it out. I'm not that good, uh, you know. If if I don't like a person, I just kind of stay away from them, you know. Now, Murray's one of those guys that's impartial, isn't he? Because you know? look at all of us. You know, look at all, We're a lot different, aren't we? We're a lot of different people in here. And Murray just kind of treats everybody the same. He's very impartial. Spends a lot of time with God. If you hang around Murray very much, you'll see him pull out his little note deal and write down a prayer for somebody. You know? he's just, And he's done years of practice of being impartial, and so he's good at it. So we're looking to be like God who shows no partiality. Isn't that amazing? I mean... He drew near to me and you. That, that's, that's very impartial, isn't it? That's very impartial. And he wants us to have that same heart, and so he gives us opportunities to do it. And uh, it's a test. Count it all joy because it's working in us the, the will and the purposes of God. So here we are in James chapter 2 in verse 8, and he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And we know from Jesus' teaching on the law that that murder is to have hatred, you know, to have animosity towards other people. So it goes much deeper than the surface words. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The quality of mercy is not strained. It's not forced. It drips down from heaven. So aren't you glad that mercy overcomes judgment? You know, in a vertical sense that God's mercy has overcome his judgment. The prophet prays, oh, God, in wrath, remember mercy. And God does remember mercy. It's really his primary work. Judgment's like I I don't know, theologians probably wouldn't like my language, but it's kind of the secondary. God's first motion, first aspect of reaching out to us is in mercy. If we refuse mercy, then judgment will fall. But God's first act, activity toward us and his most important movement toward us is in mercy. So it's good to know that, that God's mercy overcomes judgment. And that He is working in us, so that we become like that. We show mercy. That we show mercy. We give mercy because more and more we're understanding the depth of the gospel. The gospel never gets old, you know. And Jesus coming and, and God being incarnate in Him and moving toward us—that never gets old. In fact, that's that's the best, and every arrow of the the Bible, every gift, every working, every historical fact points toward that. Moment when God in Christ Jesus shows up to go to the cross. You know, everything points us to that. Never gets old, and He's not pointing off to something else. You know, God's not pointing us to something else. He keeps pointing to Jesus who fully glorified the Father. And so as we hear the gospel over and over and over, it just keeps working deeply in our hearts, you know, and... And it makes us more and more people that are appreciative and become more merciful and more gracious as we go. So we want to look at what uh, James is saying here. And as, as Proverbs does, James is borrowing uh, his language, really, from what Jesus will say after the writer of Proverbs. And that is about the wisdom of God. And so the, God is giving these instructions to us. There's 50, I I, I think this is right, this is what I read in one commentary years ago, there's 50 commandments in these 108 verses. That's a bunch. That's commandment heavy, isn't it? James just gets right to the point. He's not beating around the bush. He's a very direct person, and he's a David Wilkerson kind of guy, you know, just here, here it is. And so he speaks, but he's speaking to people who have been born again of God's Word. We've been created according to the Word of God. And so he's not, he's not speaking to the world to act like something they can't do. He's speaking to the people, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, to the saints of God that are spread around geographically and, and chronologically through the ages. He's speaking to us. You've been given a new heart. You know, so be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, and listen for the Word of God and respond to that Word, and as you see yourself, adjust yourself to what God says you are already. And so we're growing up into this fullness of uh, being mature sons and daughters of God, and James uh, comes at that through, these, through uh, the orthodox uh, testimony of believing, but he also wants us to be then orthopracticers. You know, we're going to practice what's true. We're going to practice what's right. We're going to do what's right. We're not just going to hear about it. You know, it's so easy to, to listen to a good sermon, isn't it? I mean, it's really easy to listen to a good sermon. But when you walk outside the door and you try to apply what that good sermon said, man, that is not so easy. That's not so easy. It's not even easy for the preacher to apply what he just said. You know what I mean? Because he's under the same authority. Preachers under the same authority of the word they're speaking. You know, whenever I preach, whenever I teach... I'm preaching way beyond myself because I'm preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Well, that's, that's, that's infinitely larger than what I've experienced. So I'm preaching way beyond myself. And I'm preaching way beyond all of us because we've got a long ways to go. But because God has shown us mercy and has made us new creatures by His Word, we can respond to Him. We become response able we can begin to respond to his truth. And so James has given us these commands to respond to. He says, do these things because God has ordained you in these affairs in order to perfect you, in order to bring you to maturity. So Martin Luther, because of where he came from and having to battle through all of the legalism of the Catholic Church, he thought James was a, an epistle of straw. He put it in his New Testament when he, when he translated it into Greek. But he made a comment that it's like an epistle of straw. And he says that probably for two reasons. One is it only mentions the name of Jesus Christ twice. In verse one, 1 and chapter 2 verse 1. And it has very little that it seems like grace in there. But the grace is this. God has made us new creatures by the impartation of his word. There's the grace. So he believed it was part of the Bible. He just didn't. He didn't want to spend much time in it. He'd been so beat up, you know, by commands that he spent a lot of time in Galatians and Romans, you know. So, uh, and we probably won't be any better than Luther. So, here's, the, here's three things I can see that I just kind of briefly want us to look at this morning. The royal law of liberty. So, liberty is the freedom to want to do and to do what is right. That's liberty. The freedom to want to and to do what's right. Lots of times we'll do what's right. We really don't want to. You know? 35, you're kidding me. You ought to be able to go 60 right here. You know? I mean, that's a, that's a very simple mundane thing. You know? Oh, no, I've got to treat that person nice. You know? And we do. But the liberty is the freedom to want to do what is right. Man, that is great liberty there, isn't it? That is real freedom. So the, so the submitted servant... Of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who's really a slave to Jesus out of love, they're the most free person, the most liberated person in the earth. They don't have any rights to trample, you know, they don't have any way they can be offended, they've already taken the lowest chair. So this is the kind of liberty that James is talking about, the royal law of liberty. And he says it's love, it's this commandment to love. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Well, oh, it wasn't new, was it? But it was new in the sense that he was going to make it possible in the Old Testament, they already given that commandment. Love the Lord your God and your neighbors yourself. And you can see they did a really good job at it, right? No, they did a terrible job at it. They had no power to do it. But we're different. We're different. We've been given the Holy Spirit. He's come. He remains. And so we have this, this calling to act in the liberty that God's commanded for us. So here's my, here's my cute little diagram. Somebody said it matches my tie. Isn't that? So I thought about this a l- years ago. I was just sitting around one day and I was reading Galatians or James or something. And this picture came to my mind, so I drew it out. So if we're in the shadow of the cross, if we're people that are covered in the mercy of God and the blood of Jesus, that's the place of liberty. That's the place of liberty. But we tend to swing, don't we? We'll go from far left to far right. It's almost like political. We'll go all the way to licentiousness. You know, we'll take what liberty we have and we'll just use it the way we want. We'll be anarchists. Or we'll go the other way. No, I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to keep every one of these things. I am determined. I'm going to do exactly what's right. You know, we think we're going to justify ourselves by what we can do, what we've done, what we will do. We turn into Pharisees and legalism. But licentiousness is more like the Gnostics. You know, you heard that name in Bible studies, the Gnostics. Sounds like you're trying to blow your nose or something. <laughs> I'm Gnostic. so The Gnostics and the Docetists. And they, were, they weren't exactly the same, but they were similar. Docetists believed that, that Jesus never really showed up in a body, that God didn't really show up in a body, you know. I mean, it just appeared that he was in a body. And the, and the Gnostics were certain that it wasn't, that Jesus was a spirit, because all the natural stuff's evil. And so if all the natural stuff, you know, bodies and properties and stuff like that, if that's, if that's evil, if material is evil then it doesn't really matter what you do with your body or the materialism. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. We're going to heaven anyway. So they became licentious. You know. they were, the Corinthians kind of drifted that way. They were, they were pretty licentious. And they were also people that showed great partiality. They came to the Lord's table when there used to be a traditional meal among the people. And the rich people who would bring their braised beef or whatever they had, I don't know what they liked, you know, would not share with the folks that brought bologna. The rich people were not sharing in the church with the with the brothers and sisters that were poor. They, had, they didn't have a concept of, hey, we're the family of God. We're brothers and sisters. What's mine is mine, and you know what's yours is mine, and instead of what's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine. But they, were, they didn't see that, so they were showing partiality. And, and Paul said, that's why some of you have died. That's why some of you are sick, because you're not discerning rightly that the body is... They're on equal footing, that they're to share and share alike, that they're to give of what they have and those in need that are in the body. And so they're showing great partiality. They're, they're people that uh, were licentious and they were kind of legalistic. So they got the, the, the worst of both worlds. Partiality is, is really the universal failing of humankind, isn't it? We, we hold a lot of prejudices and uh, a lot of them are socioeconomic economic I was thinking about y'all. I hope you've met Brady Clark, or at least you've seen him. Man, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. I, I just like being around him. He's just full of the joy of the Holy Spirit. Just a really neat guy. So how's he? How's he that young? And I figure he's around forty. How's he that young and just knows Jesus that well? You know. Anyway, but he's got tattoos all up and down his arms. Beautiful color tattoos. I don't like tattoos. And I have, a, I have a tendency when I see somebody with a tattoo to think, what is wrong with them? And full disclosure, both my daughters have tattoos and one of my son-in-laws. No, both of my son-in-laws. Wow. And I'm thinking, and, and now I've seen that my oldest granddaughter, who's about 20, has got one on her shoulder. And when I see tattoos, I, it, something comes to my mind immediately, you know, biker, druggie. And then I meet people like Brady. I go, wow, I'm... How did I come up with that formula? You know, when I was when I was a young man, I used to have long hair and wore in a ponytail. I was thinking about doing it again. <laughs> Take a long time now, though. Uh, I could get some ponytails on my ears if I just would, you know. but, and, and I'm thinking, you know, people used to look at me the way that I look at people with tattoos. Yeah. And I was always kind of a nice guy, basically. Even when I was a a hippie, but uh, you know we have these these things. Where we show partiality. How people? What's their educational level? You know what, what what kind of car do they drive? Where do they live? You know we just sort through things constantly in our mind. To say nothing of race or gender, and yet we read in the Bible, God shows no partiality, no partiality. So God came to me when I'm sitting in one of the worst county jails in the state. In 1973, that's basically where I met Jesus. I mean, if God was showing partiality, that's not where he would have come. He wouldn't have come there. But he doesn't show partiality. It's like, it's like, in a sense, God has blinders on in that regard. He doesn't show any partiality. And so he's, James is saying the same thing, that we're not to be a people that have that kind of partiality. And he, and he makes this, this uh, case that love fulfills the law, which is just over and over and over and over and over Scripture. Love fulfills the law because love never does any, th- any wrong to a neighbor. And who's our neighbor? Well, Jesus made that very clear. Whoever you're around, whenever you connect with them, that's who your neighbor is, you know. And so we're, here, here's, here's the bullseye. God says, and that's where I'm taking you. I'm conforming you to that image. I'm conforming to the image of my son Jesus. He shows no partiality. You know, he is the good Samaritan. He's the good Samaritan. He's the one that comes along and picks up this Jew on the road that got beat up, you know, and says, put it all on my tab. If anything else comes up, here's my charge card, just put it on my tab. That's an amazing thing. So here's Jesus being the good Samaritan. We're called to be the good Samaritan. You know, one of my favorite stories that I really like is in John chapter 8, where Jesus meets with the legalist and the licentious parts of Israel. He got all these... You got all these Pharisee types. They brought this woman caught in adultery. She's just been practicing her freedom, which has become bondage, you know, being a prostitute, making money on the side, doing that, whatever she, I don't know what her background, the Bible doesn't say exactly how she got into it, but she was doing it in Jerusalem, and so she was right there. They brought her to Jesus on the temple grounds. He's having a Bible study in the corner of the temple grounds with some guys. And right in the middle of the Bible study, they just throw this lady down in the middle. I wonder what he was teaching about at the time anyway they throw right in there and and they say we caught this woman in the act of, in the very act of adultery Moses says, we have a killer what do you say Everyone may be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger so Jesus was and he got down on the ground and he began to write remember that scripture doesn't say what he wrote I think I know what he wrote I think he wrote Hosea 6 6 I desire mercy not sacrifice I desire mercy, not sacrifice, because God is steadfast in his love. He shows mercy to a thousand generations. God is merciful. That's what, that's what he gives before the people begin to rebel. He says, I show mercy for a thousand generations. My love is steadfast. I'm gracious, kind, and tenderhearted. So Jesus gets down there, and I'll, I'll write a commentary sometime. And he says, Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire mercy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Sacrifice, that's way down the order. But because of your, because of your hard-heartedness, he said, the sacrifices, I uh, instituted them for a season. But no longer, Jesus has become that sacrifice. And so we're to be people that are showing mercy. And uh, love covers a multitude of sins. I like that verse too, don't you? In First Peter chapter 4. Love covers a multitude of sins. I'm still trying to learn that horizontally, really even vertically. Because I'm a great sinner, just like you are. You know, and I'm confronted with my sin on a regular basis. But love covers a multitude of sins. And then it moves out. It begins to move out from us horizontally. You know? It begins to cover a multitude of sins around us, especially in the body of Christ. Especially in the body of Christ. Look what happens in churches people leave they get offended they're not willing to give love or maybe not willing to receive love so we split up now we had. let's just think of our own denomination eco came from PCUSA, and so did pca and opc and then the cumberland you know it's like come on love covers a multitude of sins isn't that something now Nish and i've been trying to learn this for 46 years you know what i mean you're in your marriage. You have disagreements over something, and it's usually something just really stupid. I mean, just means absolutely nothing. And instead of just kind of swallowing our opinion, we got to give it. We got to give it. Maybe this will make them shut up. You know? So instead of, so God gives us a great ground of learning love, doesn't He? Oh, marriage is a great thing. Greatest things that's ever happened to me, you know, other than meeting Jesus. And that's a marriage, too. But here we are, you know, in these proving grounds, having these trials. And God says, I want you to be merciful. I want you to let love cover a multitude of sins. I do. And you're my child. I called you to be like me, to be like the household name, to be an imitator of me. So come on. And James, is, James is saying, get with it. What's wrong with you people? He's like a D.I., you know. I never had a D. Did you have a D.I.? Okay. I guess they kind of talk like that, didn't they? Except with with a few four-letter words. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, this is kind of James' attitude. uh, Because he knows, he knows that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He knows it's been imparted to us, deposited in us by the Holy Spirit. He says, come on, come on, do it! You know, and so... That's what God says in life. Do it. I've given you the resources. I've given you my life. So do the love. Show the mercy. Do these things, okay? And sometimes it's hard to do. So what do I got down here? I got something important. (laughs) Sin never wrongs another. Excuse, Excuse me. Love never wrongs another. We sin by not imitating God. This is in the middle paragraph, kind of a paragraph. In whose image we're made, we fail to treat others as we have been treated by Christ. So this is, this is really sin, not imitating God, you know, not treating others the way that we see God treats people. So the last thing he says here that I, that I want us to look at is judgment and mercy. Again, like, like Shakespeare, what a wise guy. Must have read the Bible a lot. Mercy rains down, it rains in the lives of believers. Uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive Mercy. James is saying the same things that Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We don't, we don't show mercy in order to get mercy, but because we've received mercy, we give it. And then it keeps coming back. It blesses the one who gives and the one who receives. You know? So we, we keep doing that. So on the basis of the cross, we, we cry out this way. God in wrath remember mercy then uh, everybody's going to be judged according to how well they do. That'll be the the difference in the levels of reward in heaven. But one of the things we have to realize as we're giving and giving out in the name of Christ and imitating Him, there's going to be people that don't want it. They don't like it. In fact, they hate it. In fact, Jesus said something similar. They hated me, they're going to hate you. And so here we are showing the mercy, the love of God. We're not... To be abused. We're not to let ourselves be abused by people that don't want the olive branch, that don't want the mercy. You know, we're not masochists. We're those that testify to Jesus. Paul, at one point when he was whipped, he didn't say, Oh, that's okay. He said, Hey, wait a minute. I'm a Roman citizen. I demand to see Caesar. You know, he didn't say, I'm a doormat for everybody to walk on. I'm just going to keep forgiving people that take advantage of me time after time after time after time. He didn't do that. And neither did Jesus. He walked on. He said, dust your feet and go. Go on to the next one. Keep going. Don't get caught thinking that somehow you've got to pay the price for these people's sin. He said, I'm going to do that. If they don't receive the peace, he said, then you go on. In fact, Jesus said something very amazing about the peace that he was giving. He said, you know, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. He said, because the word of peace that I speak is going to separate people. There's going to be two kinds of people. There's going to be people that receive the peace of the kingdom of God. They're going to receive me, and there's going to be people that refuse it. That's an amazing statement that he made, isn't it? Uh, that, that, that saved my bacon one time about 35 years ago when there was a lady that wouldn't receive the peace I was offering, and I was just beating myself up. What is wrong with me? I'm, what am I doing wrong? Jesus said, I didn't come to bring Peace. I came to bring a sword to separate mothers and fathers, fathers and children. Yeah, amazing thing. So as we as we show mercy, as we give peace, we remember that, that this is our calling, to be impartial, to show mercy, to show love to everyone, and that that mercy will overcome judgment. A lot of people are self-condemned. They're condemned by their actions. They're condemned by what they've done. They've got years and years of self-condemnation. Their conscience is destroyed them because they've not recognized truth they've not shown rightly they need to hear mercy that's the only thing's going to deliver and so here we are showing mercy you know so we see somebody that's made some really bad decisions they got tattoos everywhere you know (laughs) but they find themselves cornered by those decisions and the only way out is mercy being shown and here we are we're the mercy showers we're not the judges. We're not the judges. And if we break any of the commandments, that's an interesting thing. You know, all they, they all hang together. So you, you see it this way. All these commandments point to loving God and loving neighbor, all of them. And if we break any one of those, we're either not loving God or not loving our neighbor. And so we've broken the whole thing because it's a, it's a one piece of cloth. It's one vase. And we shattered all. And that's what Paul says was his experience. He said, man, I had them all down until I realized I was a man that coveted, and I realized I'd broken all the law. And the only way out was this, that God shows mercy and his wrath to those that call upon his name. Oh, God, in wrath, remember mercy. And he does. As we continue to walk before him in brokenness, he continues to heal us up. And other people in our wake, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life simply because we're following the Good Shepherd. We don't know where the next turn is. We don't know where the next pasture is. We don't know where to get a good drink of water. But He does. And as we stick close to Him, goodness and mercy follow us. This is an amazing thing, isn't it? And we're the most astounded because every once in a while we look back and go, wow, look at that. Look what God did in me through me. And we're the most amazed, aren't we? We're the most amazed because we've seen ourselves in the light of God's Word. But God's shaping us. He's changing us. So let's do that. Let's show mercy. Let's be lovers of people and let's do it when it's hard and when it's not and let's act it out even when we don't feel like it and, and we'll be changed from one degree of glory to the next. Let's pray together. Father, again, we uh, thank you for, for your good word. We bless you for the way that you love us, God, from everlasting to everlasting. A love that is great and steadfast, the psalmist says a love that was set upon us before we did anything, before we were. You loved us from the foundation of the earth. You chose us to be holy and blameless in Christ Jesus. How great is this love, God. And nothing in all creation can separate us from it. So, Father, help us to abide then. As Howard was saying this morning, help us to remember, Lord, what you've called us to. Help us to remember what you've done in the cross so that when things go from bad to worse, we can remain steady. We can remain, God, people that show mercy and give love. God, in all these things, we thank you. We thank you that you're far out ahead of us, that you're behind us covering our tracks, that you're above us, God, your anointing is upon us, and beneath us are our everlasting arms. Thank you, God, for the surrounding of your love and the presence of your Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to instruct us, to fill us, to inflate us, to propel us, to inspire us, and to live through us.